Wonderful. So it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, there's an element in which uh, the, the offertory also kind of sets the tone for the, for the sermon, and, and I just wonder, you know, Matt, if it's kind of a, a, a passive communication, it's like, pick it up, man, so we need a, a, a little bit of energy in these messages, so I'm just, just curious, so. Uh, there we go, thanks. Uh, it looks like the kids already know that they're heading back to uh, children's worship, and for any visitors, uh, kids ages uh, three through uh, first grade, I believe, are, uh, we have a children's worship, which is time for them to uh, be able to worship in a context that's appropriate for their age and their understanding, and uh, it's uh, well-designed, there's good curriculum, so if you'd like your kids to be involved in that, they can go back. If not, your children are also very welcome to be here in the service, we love that, and if they fuss, that's Okay. Uh, if we don't have the mental capacity to overlook a child fuss, then we, we need to work on that, right? We'll, we'll, we'll keep focused. For those who are staying here, if you'd turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll read verses 4 through 10 together. Hebrews 7, beginning of verse 4. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who receive uh, the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren. Among these are descended, those, wow, among these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And as we read through that, I'm sure that many of you are left with a similar impression to myself is we really need to pray. So uh, let's ask God to guide our thoughts. Our Father in heaven, you are so kind to us. Thank you. Thank you for the magnificent salvation that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for the great relationship that you've established between you, Almighty God, and us, your sinful people, but your people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would bless us this morning by giving to us an understanding of your word and by applying that word to our lives and through the power of your spirit, changing us that we may love you more deeply. And Father, we pray um, also for the children and children's worship and our desire, O God, as as they worship you and as they read your word and as they learn the lesson, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would come to know you as their Savior. Father, please bless this time. For Jesus' sake, amen. Um, Little review, just kind of remembering... Uh, the book of Hebrews and why it was written and kind of what the, the message is. And remember that uh, it was written in the, the first century and there, there, there were individuals who grew up under the old administration of the covenant of grace. That is, they were, they were Jews, both in, in uh, culture but also in religion. And growing up as Jews, they had uh, the, the religious rites that were a part of, of their lives that we read about in the Old Testament. If they were living that out, they had the sacrifices and, and the offerings that they would bring and the tithes that we're, we're looking at today. 
And then Jesus came. And these individuals who had grown up in the Old Testament church suddenly are in this, this, this time between the, 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 the old administration of the covenant of grace and the new administration of the covenant of grace. When Jesus came, it changed worship. Worship in the old had been filled with, with shadows and uncertainty and blood. And, and, uh, and in the new, it's filled with certainty and a focus on the spirit and, and water instead of blood and the, the cleansing. And, and so you have this, this difference. But, but that's a hard thing for someone to deal with. For someone who grew up and their entire culture was wrapped up in their religion and their religion was wrapped up in the Old Testament. And what do I now do? And it made for a very difficult time. Um, In addition to that, there were some false teachers that were running around and they were teaching, uh, the Judaizers, that you had to become a Jew to be saved. And so they had a message to, to the Gentile audience that, that you're not going to be saved unless you know, you, 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 the men are circumcised and unless you, you follow these Old Testament practices. But that also had a message to the Jews that was, why would I move forward and follow Jesus if you've still got to do what we've been doing? And, and that, that, that folly that was there. And the author of Hebrews, which I more and more I'm convinced was, was a sermon that was written down. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. So this, this preacher or this author is trying to urge them to, to follow Jesus. And in, in chapter 7, he's kind of made a shift, in it, and instead of just kind of looking back and comparing, now he's really trying to, to tell them to look forward, keep looking forward to what Jesus has done. An element of that, we still remember the past, but we want to, to move forward. Notice in this passage the focus on the priesthood and on tithes he's he's talking about these two ideas uh interrelated and they're interrelated because it was the priests who would not only receive the tithe but would also receive the benefit of the tithe and the tithe was something that that uh would provide for the levites the levites didn't have land within the people the levites would were spread out in all of the different tribes now the reason for that if you think about it a person couldn't every week go from, from way up north all the way down to Jerusalem for worship at the temple, right? You, you couldn't make that trip in a, in a week and get back. You'd spend all of your time traveling. And so they had to have priests in the different areas so that people could have their weekly Sabbath worship and could be able to do the daily sacrifices that were a part of that. And so you had priests in, in all of the different areas. So the priests weren't given a, an inheritance in the land. Instead, God gave them the tithe. And so this, this connection between the priesthood and, and, and the tithing is, is brought together in this. But in all of that, when you think about priests, when you think about tithing, aren't you thinking about worship? And that's where all of that's taking place. So the real emphasis here is for us to be thinking about this concept of, of worship and to, to turn our attention, not just on the, the tithes and the priests, but to look forward. The Jews, the Jewish Christians, had a hard time, and there was a lot of pressure to not forget about the Levitical priesthood and to focus on the Levitical priesthood. And in this passage, they're being told that there's a a higher priesthood, there's a higher order that they need to keep their focus on. They need to stop looking back at the Levitical, and they need to look forward and bring their worship 
not to the priest, but to Jesus. And so that's a message for us as well, for us to be certain that we're bringing our worship. And for us, it wouldn't be so much the priest as we could think of we bring our worship to the church. We bring our tithes to the church. And the urge to us is to bring our worship to Jesus. I think there are three principles that we can see on how to do that. And, and the first is we have to recognize his greatness. To recognize his greatness. Reading verses 4 through 6 again. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Now look at the first two words here. Now observe. Now observe is, is the Greek word theaomai. Uh, theaomai. Um, one of the things that I always try to do is I, I look at a Greek word and, and very often I'll look at it and there'll be a, a reminder. You know, that looks a lot like a particular English word. And frequently we get the English word that we have from this. And the English word that we get from theaomai is theory. Theory or to theorize. And if you think about that, now, now observe. Well, how is, what is the connection there? Well, so as, you, as you look at things and you really are considering them, you begin to formulate theories about what you see. One of the things we, we talked about a lot, uh, particularly when the, the granddaughters were around, is, is realizing, I think someone had said, every child is a scientist, right? They're learning by experimentation all the time. And they're learning so much and everything. And, and we noticed particularly with Erebus how, how she would notice little details that all the rest of us would miss. And we realized, well, she has to. Because she doesn't know what's important and what's not. Everything that she's learning is just by observing because she doesn't speak our language. Right? When they start out, they don't, they don't know. They're just trying to figure it all out. And, it's, and, it's, and so they're building theories all the time. And sometimes their theories are faulty. Right? Sometimes they, they assume that it's fun and everyone thinks it's hilarious when they take the jello and throw it on the floor. Right? It's a faulty theory. We don't find that fun, right? And so we, we have to instruct them that that's, that's the case. But uh, whatever that may be, well, we do the same thing. And that's what this word theaomai means. And he's saying, now observe, to theorize, to look closely at this one, in particular to Melchizedek. Now, Remember that he's, he's writing to, to, to Jews who are familiar with the Old Testament, who Hebrew was probably their first language. And now this, this word that we have, theaomai, is used in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the, the Old Testament. And it's used uniquely in the Old Testament. To see is a very common verb in, in uh, Hebrew, but this one is used in a particular place. And, and what it means in the Septuagint is that the sense is that of seeing with astonishment, of contemplating God's acts and seeing Jerusalem's future glory. This verb specifically is used for seeing with astonishment. And he says, to look at Melchizedek with astonishment. To see him with wonder. 
and awe and amazement. It's a command. It is in the imperative voice. A command to be amazed at Melchizedek's greatness. Here's the command. Look at Melchizedek and be amazed at how great he is. And Jesus is greater. We're amazed at Melchizedek. He's amazing. And Jesus is above him. And this is the the picture that he wants to bring us as we're coming to Jesus and we're bringing our worship to him. We begin by a sense of amazement at just how, how great Jesus really is. He's astounding. He's greater than Abraham. Abraham. Now he says, Abraham the patriarch. I think it's, it's, it's hard for us to understand the significance of Abraham to the Jews. We don't, we don't work that way. We don't think that way. Um, you know, the, the best I could come up with is things um, like, uh, and I think it was Bob who asked me one time to think about who would I put on Mount Rushmore? as far as presidents. And I think it's a great thought as I've been just reading biographies of, of all the different presidents and, and, uh, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting thought. Who would you put on there? I mean, the first two are given, right? right? Maybe even the first three. Um, I mean, we, we talk about the greatest. We're going to talk about uh, the greatest is His Excellency, George Washington, all right? Y- you have to, right? I mean, he's elected twice just to the presidency uh, unanimously. And, and, and also other times that he's unanimously elected. You know, and, and by his character, I think he really established the, the pattern for the, the peaceful transference of power. Um, first off, when, he, when the Revolutionary War ended and he turned in his ceremonial sword and he said, I'm not going to take over. That's not my job. I did what I would do. And then as he was president for, for two terms and could have continued, and he hands it off instead because this is going to help the nation. And he recognized that that's a, that's, a, that's a great person. But when we think about it, we don't... Washington doesn't come up in our conversation very often, right? We'd say, yeah, well, okay, he's the greatest of presidents, but, but we don't view him as the, the patriarch like the Jews viewed Abraham. Everything revolved around Abraham. Abraham was central to their lives. He was the patriarch, which, which literally means the, the first father but he's also the greatest of the fathers. He's, he's the one. He's the father that they're going to go back to. When they would say that uh, in, and, uh, when, uh, I'm sorry, God met with Moses and he talked about being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Abraham is the starting point. Abraham is, is, is where Israel began. He's the, the father of the Hebrews. That's, that's where it starts. And to begin to, to recognize how significant it is when he begins to say, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, Abraham of all people. And you know the Jews, and, and John the Baptist is preaching, and he says, don't tell me that you got Abraham for your father, right? He says, God can bring up from, children to Abraham from these rocks. What would they do? They, they would be saying, but wait a minute, I have a relationship with Abraham. I'm in a good spot. They knew the covenant had been brought to Abraham. They understood how vitally important Abraham was. And they cling to the reality that Abraham is that one. Later on, he talks about Abraham as being the one to whom was given the promises. That is, he was given the covenant. The covenant begins with, with Abraham. And they saw that, that close connection and it went everything to them as Jesus is talking to the Jews. 
The Jews say, but we have Abraham for our father. He says, if you had Abraham as your father, you'd do the deeds of Abraham. And he says, you're right. It's important to be looking at Abraham, the father of faith. It is essential. The first one that we, we read those words that he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he's saying, look at how great this man was to whom Abraham tithed. The magnificence of Abraham. And Abraham bowed down in the presence of Melchizedek and gave him the tithe. He's wanting to expand our sense of just how magnificent and how great and awesome Melchizedek is. Jesus is greater. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Not only did he receive the tithe, in which he's saying, yes, it's appropriate that you give a tithe to me. I'm just that great. But then he blesses Abraham. And we read that everybody knows that it's the greater that blesses the lesser. That's just what happens. And it was Melchizedek that blessed Abraham. And the idea of, and, and we'll look at this a little bit later, but uh, there's, there's even some uh, consideration of the, the Hebrew word for blessed being barak, that it, it has to do with the knee. And it's that idea of, of taking a knee to receive that blessing. And that Melchizedek would place his hand upon the head of, of Abraham. And Abraham was in that position of humiliation, of humility before Melchizedek. And have I mentioned? Jesus is greater. And he's drawing our attention to see the greatness of who Jesus is. That Melchizedek is greater than the greatest Hebrew. And Jesus is greater even than that. He's greater than Abraham. He's also greater than the priesthood. He takes time to talk about the the Levites. And the Levites were held in honor within Israel. And, and we see this to some extent when we read the book of Judges and, and these, these people said, well, well, we need to get a priest with us. And so they begin to, to bribe uh, a Levite to come and, and be their priest. And so we, we, we see this taking place. They, they viewed the, the Levites as important. The priests were something special. When, when Saul killed the priests, it was an incredibly heinous crime. And you remember all but, there was only one of the Israelites who was there, who was willing to kill the priests. The others were willing to disobey the king at the risk of losing their lives. No, we're not going to lift up our hand against the priests. It would be the wrong thing to do. And they recognize that. And yet Melchizedek is greater than the Levites. The Levites present a tithe to Melchizedek through Abraham. And yet Jesus is greater. Greater even than Melchizedek, who's greater than the priesthood. That there is an order of priesthood that exceeds the Levites. And it is the order of Melchizedek of whom Jesus is the highest. Now, there's some debate and discussion about Melchizedek. You know, was he just a pre incarnate Christ? Was it a theophany? Um, and I don't know. Uh, there, there's no way to tell him. This passage kind of lends itself into thinking that way, right? It's possible. What is undeniable 
is that he wants us to see that Jesus is greater yet. He's greater. He wants us to be amazed at the greatness of Jesus. That's how we start worship, isn't it? If we come into worship just thinking, yeah, Jesus, he's a good old boy, right? We've missed something. We've lost track of some reality. Yes, it is astounding that he would call us his brothers and sisters, right? It just, oh my. And that's tremendous condescension on his part that he would, he would reach down to us. And it's magnificent and, and we're grateful, but it does not detract from the magnificence of who he is. He's great. And if I'm going to worship, I have to begin in that place of knowing the greatness of Jesus. And the second step is, I've got to receive his strength. Looking at verses 6 and 7. He says, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them, that is Melchizedek, who's not a Levite, collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises And without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The Jews, the Jewish believers, understood the word blessing in the context of Barak, which is the the Hebrew word for blessing that I've already mentioned has to do with the the kneeling and and the receiving. But it's it's not just a matter of humbling myself before someone and, and they say nice stuff. The idea of Barak is much stronger than that. It has the idea to endue with power for success. That there's a, there's a giving of power in the blessing which will make for success. This is why, remember when Jacob stole Esau's blessing and Esau went to his father and was begging for some blessing. Surely you have some blessing left that you can give to me. And his father does speak well over him. But but look at the blessing that Melchizedek gives in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, and and this is why I don't believe that that Melchizedek was a a theophany. I believe that he was a a real person. He was a a shadow of Christ. Um, Because I look at this and he says, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And I think that what he's saying is not that Abraham is of the God most high, but that Abraham would be blessed by God most high because Melchizedek was a priest of God most high. And so I believe that Melchizedek is recognizing as he pronounces this that he doesn't have the power in himself. And so he's asking God most high to put his blessing Upon Abraham, God Most High, who is the possessor or the creator of all of the universe. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And in that case, it's saying, may his name be praised. And so this is the the blessing that Melchizedek gives. Melchizedek doesn't have the power in and of himself to endue power upon Abraham. But Jesus does because he is God most high. The Jews understand the concept of blessing meant the endowment of power. And the reality is, not only as we come in here, do we need to come into a place of worship 
with a recognition of the absolute greatness of Jesus, I think we also need to come in with a, a, a clear sense that we don't have the power to worship Him on our own. We don't have the strength. Remember when Isaiah saw Him uh, exalted and lifted up, he, he fell down he said, I'm, I'm undone. I'm undone. I, 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 I can't be here. I've got nothing. I, this, is, this isn't for me. I can't. I can't. I can't. Because, because of who you are, I can't. And that recognition for every one of us as we come into the presence of God to worship Him that we can't. That we don't have the ability, that we need His strength to worship Him. And we need to understand that God's blessing empowers us. I think it's really important as Christians that we not be mere materialists. And it's, it's difficult in our age. Science has done magnificent things for us. We understand so much about what God has done and, and how the universe works. And there's an element in which God has put, put things in place, right? And, and does a, a, a great job. Years ago, maybe, maybe people thought that God was, was specifically raising the sun each morning and causing it to set each, each evening, and now we see, well, it's actually the, the rotation of the earth, right? And so we, we recognize that. And, and so we can become materialists. And in becoming materialists, we can begin to think, well, the, the place that power comes from is, is the food that we eat, right, and the exercise that we do. And we can think of power only in that way, and we can lose sight of the fact that there is a power outside of the physical. Think for just a moment about the power source of the Avengers, right? Because we really should spend time contemplating that from time to time. But, but think about, you know, we've got these superheroes with these superpowers. What was, what was the source of their powers? You know, for some, they were aliens, right? Like I, I think of, of Thor, right? So he's, he's an alien, so that's where his power comes from. Okay, well, that makes sense. Same with Superman, right? Okay, I get that. I, I recognize he's not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but anyway. So, so we've got the, uh, some of them are being aliens, and then another is from radiation, right? Isn't that essentially what we see for the, the Hulk? If, am I correct? And some of you are experts in this. You can correct me if you choose. But, but it's from radiation. And, and it was at a time in which people were convinced that radiation would do these absolutely crazy things, like maybe even turning turtles into ninja fighters. But uh, it's, it's, and again, I'm switching universes. Forgive me for that. But uh, radiation. Another is it could be a super soldier serum, right? Uh, alliteration is something that you see quite often with the Avengers, but you've got this uh, super soldier serum, and that could make someone like a, a Captain America, and that's how he's going to have his, his superpowers. Or there's always Iron Man, who has a superpower from technology. This is the source of all of these superpowers, and it's all explained. But you know, there are powers at work that cannot be explained in any way like that. Powers that we see, say, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 46, where our Lord says, But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. He's headed to Jairus' house, and the woman with the 12 years of bleeding touched the hem of his garment and was instantly healed. And Jesus felt the power come out of him. It was not 
from him being an alien. It was not from radiation. There was no super soldier serum, and it surely wasn't technology, right? It was the power of Almighty God himself, and Jesus was aware that it had gone from him into that woman. If I'm to understand what Jesus is saying, one of the elements of that is to know that there is a power beyond the physical. And I have to know that and I have to believe that that is a reality. Consider Philippians 4.13, which is basically telling us a very similar thing, is it not? Um, Most of you have probably memorized this verse. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, who gives me power. I can do all things through Him who gives me power, and He gives me power in ways other than through exercise and food. There is a power that He gives me. I think one of the first times I ever began to think about that actually had to do with uh, Brittany. When they get here next week, I'm going to have to give them a lot for the illustrations they're, they're taking today. But As she would talk about it, that she was teaching, and, and she was so tired at the end of the day, arrogant me thought, what's to be tired about? Right? I mean, you sit at a desk and you talk. I mean, why are you tired? Right? Right? And I know every teacher here is about to string me up. Judy is about to come up here and, and pull me off this pulpit. <laughs> But I think that the reason is that there's a power that is not all that we understand. That there is a strengthening and those children are drawing from the teacher much more than simply the words that are spoken. But somehow, God is is using this, and and I know, it it, it sounds all new agey and weird, and, and I don't believe that it is. I believe that it's consistent with what Jesus said in Luke. That there is power at work in this world beyond the physical. And for us to begin to recognize that, and what does that power do for us? I want to look at four different passages to to consider that. Technically, you could say it's three, but uh, four different uh, verses in particular. The first is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every... He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us each individual of us with every spiritual blessing. And in that blessing, he empowers us to what? Why did he do that? That we would be holy and blameless. That he gives to us a power for holiness that it builds in our lives. First Peter chapter 1. Here we're going to look at verse 5 and then at verse 7. Verse 5 says of us, that we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see what he's saying? He protects us. Read it again. By the power of God through faith. What is that power of God doing? And we're going to see that. First off, it's protecting us. It's preserving us. We are able to persevere. We are preserved. 
we don't fall away. We will not be lost ultimately. Why? Because of the power of God that preserves us. His power empowers us to holiness. His power enables us to persevere. His power, look at verse 7, <coughs> so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants to prove our faith that we will believe. His power, we see that in verse 5, that it's through faith. Where does faith come from? Faith is not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. He gives us that faith. That faith is, is a part of His blessing. His blessing enables us to taste holiness. His blessing uh, causes us to persevere. His blessing gives to us faith to continually believe. And His blessing, according to John 15, 5, enables fruitfulness. John 15, 5 says... Jesus is speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And it is in that relationship to Jesus as he gives to us that blessing that we find that we can actually bear fruit in this life. This is what his power does in our lives. His power is available for us and we need to receive it by faith. And as we receive it by faith, as I said, we taste holiness. That is to say, I believe that God's blessing gives me power. And therefore, I believe that I can taste holiness. I can find a level of holiness in my life. And because I know that I can taste a level of holiness in my life, I can turn away from evil. And I can turn to my Savior and draw close to Him. I can draw close to Him because His blessing is upon me and it empowers me. I have strength to be able to seek Him. I receive by faith and I believe that I can endure hardship and temptation. I don't have to give in to the temptation when it comes. I can resist I can say no. Why? Because I believe that no temptation has overtaken me, but such as is common with me. And God is faithful, and he won't allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that I may be able to endure it. I believe that. And so I stand firm, and I resist the desire and the temptation to turn away from God in the midst of hardship. When I believe, I find that my faith is strengthened. Isn't that fascinating? My faith is strengthened by believing. It's kind of like, I find I can run longer when I run longer. Yeah, which sounds silly, but yet it's also a little bit profound, right? And it's by running longer that I enable myself to run longer. And finally, I believe that God has given me power. I believe that his blessing empowers me. Therefore, I invest in other people and I find fruitfulness. Why would I take time to spend with an individual who's a brand new Christian teaching them about Jesus and how to walk with Jesus? 
Except that I believe that that will empower them to do that, right? Or another church heard of a, a man who came to the pastor and he said, I'd like to be discipled and I'd like it to be someone other than you because you're so busy. The pastor talked to the elders and said, a man has come to me and wants to be discipled. Is anyone willing to do that? And none of the elders were. Maybe because they didn't believe that they had the power of God in them to actually invest in someone else and see their faith grow. Is that why sometimes maybe we're afraid to, to volunteer to help with uh, ministering to the children? Well, what have I have to offer? You have the blessing of God which is upon your head, which gives you power. And by doing that, you will bear fruit. He will make sure of it because Jesus said that if you abide in Him, you will bear much fruit. So if I'm going to bring my worship to Jesus, I have to first of all recognize His greatness. Secondly, I've got to receive His strength. And finally, I have to give myself to Him. Look at verses 8 through 10. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives on. And, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What's the point of tithes? What are tithes, right? You know, we could view it as, as tithes are, well, isn't it? A new Christian may look at that and say, oh, well, that's kind of like paying dues, right? You're part of this club, which is the church, and so everybody's got to pay their dues, right? We could view it that way. Uh, we, we grow in faith, and we get more spiritual. We say, no, it's how we support the church, right? And there's an element which the church is supported by that, but is that what we're doing? It's just not, is it? Aren't we, in, as we bring our tithe, aren't we bringing it as a, as a statement of faith? It's a statement of faith that I believe that God has provided everything that I have and God will continue to provide everything that I need. That's what our tithe is. Robin's grandpa, uh, Elmer, taught me that. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of conversations, but, but hearing of how important. He was a farmer in uh, eastern Colorado. And, uh, and he taught his children. And uh, I remember him telling me, no, no, no. The first part, the first money that comes in, that's the tithe. That belongs to God. Not to the church. To God. We give it to God because we believe He provided it in the first place. And we give it to God believing that He'll continue to provide even though now I don't have anything because He gave the tithe to Him, right? Yeah. And He's still going to provide for me. And it's also a declaration of commitment. It's a declaration that says everything that I have and everything that I am belongs to you, my God and my King, and I give this as a token, as a symbol of the reality that my life is given to you. As they're talking about tithes in this section, what he's telling us is that we bring our tithe not to the priest, but to God. It's Jesus who receives them. And it isn't even about bringing our tithes. It's about giving ourselves 
so that this verse, this passage is fulfilled really in Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's what he's getting at. Each week we gather for worship. There are four components to worship. We used to have this in the, in the bulletin. I'll just kind of remind you. We believe in what's called the regulative principle of worship. That is, we only worship God the way he's commanded. And, and uh, that gets kind of complicated when you look at all the different commands. But if you begin to categorize and you begin to see, there are four categories of commands that he gives us. We're to worship God, and we're to do that with music. That's the first category. We're to worship God with prayer. We're to worship God with the word of God, the scripture. And we're to worship God with commitment. That's what tithes are about, is that commitment. All of these are a part of what, what oversees our worship, is we're worshiping God the way that he's commanded us. And, and that's great. But you know, we can have all four of those elements and still not actually worship God, right? It doesn't guarantee worship. It just guides worship. Something else has to happen for real worship to happen. The same is true when, when you're at home. And each morning as you get up and you begin to have that time of personal worship, you can, you can read your Bible, you can pray, you may even sing, you might even dance. That's fine. But that doesn't mean for sure that it's worship. It kind of like the idea that I've, I've thought of for, for, for many, many years. Um, it's really easy to invite people to come to church, Right? It's much more important to invite them to come to Jesus. And they can do both at the same time. And hopefully that's what we're doing. Not just coming to church. Because that's the danger for us. Just as the Jews had that danger of not knowing how to, you know, do I do Old Testament, New Testament, I don't know what to do. And, I'm, and they're just kind of confused. And they could, could find themselves just doing the other and just going to the priest. So we too can just go to the church. But I want to challenge each and every one of us Let's be sure that we come to Jesus and we bring our worship to Jesus by recognizing his greatness, by receiving his strength, and by giving ourselves to him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for receiving our worship through Jesus. It's nothing in us, but you are so absolutely magnificent, and we love you so much. And we thank you that you love us enough to give us the power to worship you and that you receive us as we give ourselves to you and that you are honored and glorified in that. Father, I pray for this congregation, for each one of us, that you'll help us to be men, women, children who fully belong to you and who bring our worship only to our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name.